I was just thinking as we were worshiping tonight, all through my life, we sang the song, thank you, worship team, you did such a wonderful job tonight. They had a special song at the end that I interrupted on them, so I feel bad. Maybe we can try to work it out at the end. But what a wonderful song. All my life you have been faithful. And I just thought of all the times I was tempted to do something. And at that moment, the Lord would send a phone call where someone would text me. Or I'd see somebody I know on college campus, Brother Dan Pluak or somebody. And I would do one of these. What am I doing? What am I thinking? Where's my thought going? Where's my heart going? And I just think, all my life he's been faithful. All those little times I could have chose to do something out of anger, out of frustration, out of disappointment. I was one step away from just making a decision that could disrupt God's plan for my life. And I thought, all my life he has been faithful. Isn't it so wonderful, the God that we serve? Our whole lives, he can be faithful. The question is, can we be faithful to him as he is to us? Amen? Hallelujah. What a, what a wonderful God we serve. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We thank you so much for your dedication to us and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you. Let this word be a blessing to the church tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And I do hope you find this word a blessing. We'll turn right to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Can you hear me okay in the back? Sound good. Thank you, brother. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, For I have learned, this is Paul speaking to the Philippian church, obviously. It says, For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. What a statement. I have learned for whatever state I am in to be content. You know, I shared Sunday night about the scripture, uh, uh, the account in Hannah in 1 Samuel. If you were here, I'm not going to go over it so much, but what I want to share was I was so impressed by her as I studied her last week and into this weekend and, and moving and, and into this word tonight. I was so impressed by her that she was able to maintain her godly example in the state that she was in, in a state of turmoil, in a state of being burdened, in a state of being mocked and provoked to agitation. She was able to focus on making her way to the temple. She still made her way to the temple, even though on her way to the temple, that's where she would be provoked the most and be reminded the most that she didn't have a child, that she was barren. This is where her, as the Bible mentioned, her rival told her, you're barren, you don't have kids going to the temple. She was able to make her way to pray in her frustration. She said, I have to pray. She was able to make her way to worship and glorify God and praise his holy name all through this, this, this struggle she had inwardly. Outwardly, she maintained. She, and I was just, it just thought, what an example it pressed on my heart. And I thought, boy, we have to be content in the state that we're at. She was content in this sense. She maintained her walk with the Lord despite the circumstance that she was in. And it hit on my heart that when Paul, when I read this in Philippians chapter 4, that he learned to be content. And so tonight I want to talk about being content. Are you content in your walk with the Lord? 
Good question. Amen, saints? What does that mean, being content? Being content in Christ. You know, you might, you might just think about being content. I'm going to give a definition of content. Maybe being satisfied uh, in life. Maybe being satisfied as we think about it in our, where we are in life. What our possessions are. Maybe our certain status or situation. That's being satisfied in this but you want, I want to share with you what, what I found as I researched the scriptures, that this is not the biblical view of contentment, being satisfied where you are in life. Interesting. This is not the biblical view. We may think in our own lives, being content is being in a good spot. I want to share with you tonight, the Bible says something a little bit different. I really saw two definitions in the Bible when I, when I studied the Word of God about being content. Being content, there's sort of this Old Testament idea of what contentment is. And there's this New Testament idea of what contentment is. And we'll, we'll sort of talk about these tonight. In the Old Testament, you can see that contentment was someone who was sort of showing obedience to God. They were willing or they were simply pleased or determined to take a step towards obedience in the Lord. And a good example of this is in Leviticus chapter 10. You can turn there. You know, there's so much examples in this, I really had to pare it down. But I found this example that really seemed to sum up a definition of contentment in the Word of God. One definition of it. And I want to speak to it. I think it hits us sometimes. Jesus wants us to be content. Amen, saints? We see this account in Leviticus chapter 10. It's an interesting account, but it actually starts off in a sad way. There's the death of two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Um, you know, they, uh, these, these sons of Aaron were rebellious, and they were killed by God. And Moses, as you'll read here, declares what Aaron's family should do and the actions they should take. And you have to see right in verse 1 what made God angry. And it says, and, it says, And Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, took their censers and put fire in them and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What a testimony about not taking for granted what the Lord has called holy. Amen? Lord, Lord's commands are serious. But if you read here, Moses proceeds to outline what Aaron and his sons should do. How they can make atonement for their mistake. Moses commands Aaron's and his sons to keep their heads covered. Don't uncover your head. Keep your head covered. You, can't, you don't take time for mourning. There's no time to have sackcloth and ashes. Don't tear your clothes. This is not the place to do it. Do not put this on the, the people to mourn. And if they did not obey, they would, they would sort of face God's wrath. And one of the instructions they got later on was that they must not only offer a sacrifice, but they must also eat the sin sacrifice that they offered. And we see in verse 6, starting in verse 10, that Moses was angry that his nephews actually did not follow through. Some of Aaron's other sons did not follow through in fulfilling what Moses said that they should do. They didn't follow through all the way. And it says in verse 19, Aaron replied to Moses about this statement, that when, when Moses confronted Aaron and said, your sons 
burnt the offering, but they never ate it. They were supposed to eat it. Why didn't they eat it? And, and Moses was taking it as, a, as a, another form of rebellion. And Aaron says this to Moses, Today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, but such things as this have happened to me, would the Lord have been pleased if, it had eat, if they had eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was content. It says Moses was content, and this gives us a picture of the Old Testament ideal of contentment. And let me share with you why. Aaron finds himself facing the anger of Moses once again because his sons failed to fulfill his command. Moses looked at this as a form of rebellion. Aaron thought otherwise. Aaron responds, and I'm going to read this uh, account from the Nelson's Bible study. It's a It's a thing I found online from Nelson Bible Study. It says this about Aaron's response. Aaron quickly explains that he and his sons did not eat the sacrificed meat because he was afraid of what more God might do. He was not being rebellious as his dead sons sons had been in burning the incense. Aaron was arguing to Moses that in circumstances such as the one that he faced that day, God would prefer the priest to err on the side of caution rather than presumption. Aaron started to say, well, this is what God would want me to do. Moses, this is what, let me tell you, you told me to do something, but let me tell you really what God would want me to do. Moses, the events of the day were just so exceptional. They were so um, out of the ordinary. My sons got consumed by the fire of the Lord. I don't want this to happen again. So let me tell you what the Lord would rather me prefer to do. He was saying even God, in a way, would agree that this is just too dangerous to do, to move forward and and take this offering that you wanted me to take. And you know what, saints? I don't know if Moses saw in Aaron's defense of his sons a fear of God, or they saw Aaron really reverencing God or what he was thinking, but it says, when Moses heard the explanation, his heart became content with the answer. What was once rebellious towards Moses had now become, I'm satisfied, I'm content. And according, and let me share with you why this is important, because according to the Strong's Concordance, this word content couples two English words together. One of the words literally means to sound right. To sound right. In fact, 35 times in the Old Testament, this word content here is translated to do well. To do well. They did well. Moses said to Aaron, Hmm, Aaron, what you said, that sounds right. That sounds right. That makes sense. I'm okay with that. I'm content with that. You do well in your answer here. That's one segment of the the meaning content. The other Hebrew word is, and interestingly, is an eye. Eye, sight. It looked. It looks. And this word is translated oftentimes in the Old Testament, outward appearance. The outward appearance. So in a way, Moses was also saying, not only did you sound right, Aaron, I know I told you what to do, but how you explained it to me, you know what, that sounded right, so I'm satisfied. And you know what, Aaron, it looked right, so I'm satisfied with that. I'm content. I'm, I'm content 
Aaron, with your response about how your sons did not follow through on my command because it sounded right to me, your explanation, and your explanation, you looked right when you explained it to me. And this is the general idea of contentment that you'll sort of see through the whole Old Testament. When people are content, they have this idea that they went and obeyed God. They obeyed his commands. They offered a sacrifice. They looked okay. And when they, when they did not, there was punishment. When they did not obey and see the offering, or when they did not verbally say something correctly, there was usually a punishment that fouled. But I want to share tonight that contentment in our faith does not end here, saints. Contentment in our faith does not end with looking good and sounding good, like Moses saw. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll talk about this in a little bit. This is not just about looking and sounding right in our Christian faith, saints. No doubt this is an important part of contentment. In a way, it did satisfy Moses. You know, if you're a parent, sometimes when your kids look good and they sound good, okay, you can stay up a little bit tonight. You did the, you're looking good and you're sounding good. You're saying the right things to me. Thank you. I did trim my beard, son. It does look smooth. Thank you. You know what? You can, you can watch the ball. You can watch the Warriors play since they're, since they're a West Coast team and they play at 9 o'clock every night. You can stay up and watch the first half. You know, this might be apparent. You sounded good and you looked good. Your homework's all done. You know, you might do this as a parent. Look at Hannah. She looked godly. She sounded godly. But you know what, saints? Inside, she was in turmoil. Inside, she was messed up. Inside, she was struggling. Yet, she walked up to the temple. Maybe we could say she showed up at church. She worshiped. She even prayed. But inside, her heart was down. To the point, the Bible says she wasn't even eating anymore. But she looked apart. And I want to share with you tonight that growing up in Christ, as I studied this message, it seems to be the content heart of me as a young believer sometimes. Or maybe some of you, or maybe you're going through it now, or maybe your parents, you see it, or your grandparents, you see it. By the way, if you're watching on television tonight, we welcome you. Thank you for showing up. We appreciate you. We'd love to see you here. But growing up, as I, as, I, as I mentioned, this hit me a little bit this week when I was studying. I wanted to be godly. Maybe you want to be godly. I was taught godliness. I was instructed in godly ways, the good news of the Bible. Not only was I instructed in good news, my mom was very good at teaching me etiquette. Where your knife went, where your forks went. You know that fork on top of your it was on top of your plates. You know what that fork was for? Ask my mom. I forgot. <laughs> she did such a good job, though. Napkin on your lap. Don't put your elbows on the table. We try to put our elbows on the dinner table. You know, this was all stuff. This, you look good. You have an outward appearance of how you're supposed to behave and, and what you're supposed to look like, right? And it's good. It looks good. It sounds good. But you know what? Sometimes as young people, there can be a lot going on a lot of questions, a lot of indecisiveness, a lot of temptation, a lot of struggle, a lot of frustration, not understanding what's going on in the world around them a little bit. You know, as adults, we understand it a little bit better. We understand discipline maybe a little bit better. 
A young person might not understand discipline so well, might be confused by changes. Why are my parents not believing me and believing somebody else? Why are they disciplining me in such a way? It can be a real turmoil for our young people. As an adult, you may even now be saying, well, they just got to learn. And see, there's the disconnect. How will they learn? How will they understand God's word? How will they do it? Just by looking good and sounding good? By looking the part? This this, this disconnect can be such a problem that it can affect their faith later on in life. I've seen it. And in a way, looking good and sounding good may look like contentment before the Lord, as Moses saw before Aaron. But in a way, it can fall very well short of what God expects of a content heart. Of a content heart. It's easier seen in the youth, no doubt. It was easier in me when I was seeing this in my struggle as I look back on my life this week, seeing it in my own heart, seeing it in my own growth in the Lord. But you know what, saints? This behavior can happen in adults, too. Adults can be saved many, many years and find themselves struggling to show up at church. Hey, I know what the Bible says. I'm good. I'm content with where I am in life. I raised a family in the church. My family's done well. I'm doing okay. I'm content where I'm at. I'm not doing anything horrible in the, in the world. I'm content with my heart. I come to church when I can. Reading the Bible, I know what the Bible says. Worship, I know how to worship. But is, is the Lord okay with looking and sounding good? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is this all Jesus wants out of a content heart? Is this all Jesus wants out of you? Think about it. Looking good and sounding good. Is that all the Lord wants out of you? It reminds me of what Jesus said in the end times. And maybe we'll get a better picture of what the Lord thinks about those who look good and sound good to him. In Matthew chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but I have to. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. Have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. You know, if you ask those men, they looked good, Christian-wise. They were casting out demons. They were, they were, what does it say? They prophesied. People prophesy all the time today. The people are prophesying, it seems like, more today than they ever have. At least online, or you hear the major uh, Christian articles. People are prophesying all the time. Well, we see prophecy here that God was not happy with. They cast out demons. And it says they did many wonders. Maybe these men who prophesy can also do wonders. They look good. They sound good. But look what the Lord says to them. I never knew you. I never knew you. How could the Lord never know someone who prophesies, who casts out demons, and who does wonders in his name? I believe it's because their hearts weren't content with what, who Jesus was. They were satisfied in their own glory. 
not the glory of God. They wanted themselves to be lifted up, not God to be lifted up through them. Maybe these people thought they were content. They sounded the part, they played the part, but saints, their hearts were far from the Lord. A content heart, saints, is not far from the Lord. A content heart is actually, we'll see shortly, being cultivated by the Lord, being grown up in the Lord, being matured in the Lord. Saints, again I'll ask, is this all what contentment is to you? As Aaron satisfied Moses with words, as Aaron satisfied Moses with looking okay, is this how we satisfy God with our walk? God, I love you. Now you do your thing. God, I'll show up in church. I'll show my face maybe once a week, maybe once, two, twice a week. I'll show up just to show that to say, hey, I went to church. I checked the box. I checked the box. I'll read my devotional. That's my word study. I'll check the box. You know, saints, the Lord did so much more for us than us just checking boxes. Amen? We don't want to just check a box in our Christian life. We don't want to just look good and sound good. I want to say to you, I said there was two definitions. Let's, let's see what the second definition of, of contentment, a content heart, is for Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, I'll, be, I'll say to you again, was willing and being satisfied in outward obedience through words and actions. Look at the New Testament definition using the scripture from tonight, Philippians 4, verse 11. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. We know Paul often encourages Christians to become more like Christ. Do you know that in your study? So if Paul wants us to be more like Christ, and he says, I have learned in all things to be content, wouldn't you think a content heart is being more like Christ? Was Jesus content in this life? Are you content in this life? Excuse me while I drink. Must have had a lot of sodium tonight. Paul was writing to the Philippians here, and he says something interesting that really caught my eye. I have learned. I have learned. He didn't say I was born content. He didn't say someone gave me contentment. He said, I have learned. Saints, part of being content is a learning process. You have to learn it. It's, sometimes it's unnatural for us to do it. You have to, when you learn something, it's something that's unknown to you. It's something that's beyond you. In a way, something out of your reach. When you learn something, someone has to teach you it. Then teaching it, you have to absorb it. And then absorbing it, you have to practice it. It's not something that can just, like metamorph, like os- osmosis, if you, put it on, if you write the word out on your cardboard cutout that you're sharing with church on Friday night, contentment, and put it under your pillow and put your pillow on top of it and lay on it, it's going to absorb through your pillow and you're going to be content. That's not what happens. Contentment, Paul says, I have learned. He says, I learned what? To be content. And then he doesn't stop there. Yeah, you would think that's enough. I have learned to be content. Paul, let me learn to be content. But Paul says this, to be content in whatever state I am in. It's twofold. I got to learn it. I got to take it. And now I have to apply it to whatever state I am in. 
It doesn't say in your happy state. It doesn't say in your blessed state. It doesn't say in your encouraged state. It says whatever state you are in. Saints, what state are you in tonight? Where is your heart tonight? Are you struggling? Are you frustrated? Are you, are you excited? Are you so blessed? Where are you tonight? Only you can answer that question. Only you. I, and I want you to think about that. Where is your heart tonight? What is your heart yearning for? Where is the momentum of your life headed? Where is the direction of your path headed? Your thoughts and your decisions. If you took vectors of every thought that came up from your mind and every word that came out of your heart, where are those vectors pointing the most? Where do they, where do they point to towards the most? Where's that heart of yours headed? Is it towards being content in Christ? You know, Charles Spurgeon says this of contentment. It's not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. And you may say, wow, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work to be content. I'm going to share with you tonight, saints. It's not natural. It's not natural for us. So it's, it is work for us to be content. But look at what it says. I want to encourage you on this. Don't be discouraged on the idea that it's not natural, that it has to be acquired. But think about things like this. Salvation is something that comes almost instantaneously when a heart says, I want the Lord in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. Almost an instantaneous event there we get from salvation. But a lot of other precious, important qualities that we gain in Jesus Christ come by cultivating our lives towards them. Come by living a godly life. Come by understanding who God is. Yes, salvation is a free gift, but living a godly life is one that takes time, one that takes effort. As I mentioned to you at the start, all those times how the Lord has been faithful. All those times you have to make a decision for Jesus. You have to make a decision for the Word of God. You have to make a decision maybe against what your friends want to do. And you have to say, I'm going to make this decision for Jesus. It takes some effort. It takes some work. It takes some, I'm a little nervous in doing this, but I'm going to do it. I can remember the first time in, in chapel, raising my hands to Jesus. You think, you think, oh, what's the big deal as adults? You raise your hands, you love the Lord. I'm going to tell you, your sons and daughters, it's, it's a big deal to them. It's a big deal to lift their hands up before the Lord amongst their peers. You may think it's not. Talk to your sons and daughters. It's a big deal. It takes work. It takes effort to live our lives for Jesus Christ. So no different than being content in your heart. If you're not content, if you're, if you're trying to figure out more to be, live a life of contentment, it's going to take some work. Paul had to learn contentment. Hannah had to learn contentment in living her life. She had to learn year after year after year make her way to the church, or I'm sorry, the temple. Make her way to the prayer. Make her way to worship the Lord. Make her way to be a good wife. Take care of her husband, even though she struggled. She had to learn to be content. And I would say, if, if it's in the Old Testament, if it's in the New Testament, what about today? Do we have to learn to be content? I shared with you what the Old Testament Greek word was, for contentment. Let me share with you what the New Testament Greek word is. 
And I'm not going to say it because I'll butcher the language, but I'll just give the English words. It means to be sufficient and strong. So a related word in the Greek is sufficient. Contentment, it's sufficient. Being content, you're suffice. Let's see where we can read this. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I tried to pick a very obvious verse. Probably comes to mind as soon as I said sufficient. If I say my grace is sufficient, I'm sure you'll know the verse by, by memory. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, it says this, Paul writing again, Concerning this thing, I have pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from, from me. So Paul, struggling with a thing, and pleading, it says, with the Lord, three times I asked the Lord, let this thing depart from me. And he got an answer. That's cool. You're struggling. I, I can't take this anymore. Then there's an answer from heaven. And the answer says this to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is contentment for you. This is what the Lord said to Paul. My grace is contentment for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul ends by saying, Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was pleading with the Lord that something might depart from him. Hannah pleaded with the Lord that something might come into her. They were both pleading to the Lord, both examples of being in a trial. And we see here that the Lord says, what I have for you, what I have given you already, is sufficient enough for you. It's sufficient enough for you. There's no notion here of looking the part, no outward appearance, or sounding right in the New Testament. The New Testament word for contentment is what I have given you is sufficient for you. My grace is contentment for you, Paul, and here's what I have learned about contentment. The Lord says the gifts, grace is unmerited favor, right? So the gifts the Lord has given us, saints. Think about the gifts the Lord has given you in this life. Your salvation. Your salvation. If you're going through a trial, think about your salvation. Is that not a blessing? Is it not wonderful what the Lord has given you? That's, that can be sufficient for you to a certain extent in your trial. Your grace or unmerited favor being on you from the Lord. The liberty that the Lord gives you. The joy of your salvation. The benefit you will have and you will gain from the Lord being your Savior, your Adonai, your Master. This is all contentment for you. That is sufficient strength for you. Not realizing that you get the answer to your problem. Interesting. What was contentment that the Lord said? Now, Paul's idea of contentment was, let me pray and take this thing away from me, and I'll be good. Lord, I'm struggling. I have this problem. I'm going to pray to you three times. Let me pray to you, and I'll take this thing away from me, and I'll be content with you, Lord. Jesus reminded Paul, what I have done for you is sufficient enough. Hallelujah, saints. What I have done for you is sufficient enough. This goes well beyond looking and sounding good. What a challenge it may be, though, 
to change our thinking. If I say the right things and I do the right things, shouldn't that mean something? Shouldn't I get what I prayed for? Shouldn't I get what I asked the Lord for? And here's the encouragement for us, saints, as we move along in our Christian experiences, as we move along in this century where evil is abounding more and more, the danger could be that our faith rests on if we have done and given up so much and put up with so much that we deserve something from the Lord in return. Lord, I pray to you, why don't I have it? I don't have it, my faith is weak. I'm going to be disappointed in the Lord. I don't get the answer I see. And we tend to look at our content heart, our faith, as being, I'm looking good and I'm sounding good. Why am I not getting the answers that I think I should have? We tend to start thinking, but I'm doing the right thing. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm looking for the right things. I'm saying the right things. But I want to share with you, saints, God wants us to learn to be content. Learning is a process. It's a process that goes forward. Learning is beyond you. Learning is in front of you. Learning is before you. Learning you have to go get. You have to understand. You have to grow in your faith. Saints, I want to encourage you in your faith tonight. Go further in the Lord. Learn more about Jesus Christ. Learn more about something in the Word of God than just a devotional that shows up in your email every morning. Learn more about what the Lord has for you in witnessing other than trying your best out to do it yourself. Where are the divine appointments? Ask the Lord. Go further. Learn what the Lord wants from you. Learn how the Lord wants to use you in this community. Learn how the Lord wants to make you a father that rules his house and his children in a godly way, in a loving way, in a mature way. A wife who can support her husband in a loving and a mature way. Kids who you can obey your parents and give peace in the house. God wants you to learn contentment. Paul, Brother Paul, Sister Hannah, they felt in a way the same way. Both had weakness of hearts. Both were struggling. Saints, it's okay to have weakness of heart. That in and of itself is not an issue. You may feel sick. You may have an infirmity. Maybe it has hit you hard. Maybe it has hit you and you're wondering, God, why? Why am I not? Why is this? What is going on, Lord? I'm doing my best here. Can't you see? Maybe it's an offense. You know, not only physical ailments hit us, but emotional ailments can hit us too. It can hurt our pride. You can be offended how something went down. You can have a stumbling block in front of you that may discourage you. Maybe you have felt offended and you thought, I deserve better. Look what I have done. This isn't right, Lord. How do you respond when you're feeling uncomfortable and you're feeling content in how you're looking? Saints, as I mentioned, as the end times approach, we know our faith will be tried. The Bible says you're going to be tried. Your faith will be tried. Your faith will be tried in simple things. And your faith will be tried in very difficult things. How will you respond? You have to learn to be content. When I was in PA school, physician assistant school, I knew nothing about medicine when I started. Zero. If you ask me what a strep throat looked like, I couldn't tell you. If you ask me how to 
replace a, a fractured hip? I couldn't tell you. If you asked me how to sew up tissue, I could do my best, but I couldn't do it well. It takes time. It takes hours. I mean hours. Hours. A long time. It takes hours to learn to be better at medicine. If you want to know, just ask Dr. Rancier, who was my first attending. Probably has some excellent stories about my learning medicine. He helped me so much, and I appreciate it. It takes hours to learn. I had to study. I had to study myself. I had to study in groups. I had to watch others. I had to try what, what someone else was doing. I had to put effort in. I had to understand what the concept was behind what I was doing. I had to understand the etiology or, or, the, or what causes certain diseases so I understood how to fix them. Oh, I had to apply all these in every situation I have when I started dealing with patients. I had to have an open mind with the patient. What could be causing the patient to be going through what they're going through? If you think, I know exactly what it is, you might miss some very important details. You had to learn to be patient. You had to learn to listen. You had to learn to pick out someone being emotional versus someone being serious. Someone being hysterical versus someone trying to get attention. Trying to understand what their ailment was and working with them. All the while trying to make them feel better. This took hours. I'm still working at it today. This is why they say the practice of medicine. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes knowledge. It takes situations where you made a mistake and you say, I made a mistake. Next time I see that, I'm not going to make the same mistake. You've got to know what you know. I used to tell my students this. You have to know what you know and know it well. Don't forget it. But you also have to know what you don't know. In other words, don't be too prideful to say, I need help. I don't have the answer to this situation. And the third thing is I tell them, what you don't know, you have to learn it so you know it for next time. So you have to know what you know. You have to know what you don't know. And what you don't know, you have to learn for next time. This is what I share because it's very important to help us what happens tomorrow. Saints, we don't know what lies ahead for us. What lies ahead for this church? What are the trials that lie ahead for this congregation as a group of people? What lies tomorrow? What lies before us? Is your heart content in Jesus Christ? Are you doing more than just looking the part and saying the part? And I want to finish with this encouragement. You know, the New, Def the New Testament definition was the contentment was sufficient in strength. And if you say, Brother Ben, this seems so daunting to me. It seems so hard. You said it took hours and hours. How can I even start? What do I have that the Lord can help me with this? What I want to share with you this. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. How can Paul say this? The following. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How can Paul say, I'd rather, I'd rather be pride of my sickness. I'd rather boast in my infirmity, in my failure, in my hurt, in my lack, that the power of God, because this is why the Lord, saints, the Lord, the creator of all things, he says this, my strength, that's God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. That word strength is his miraculous power. Deutimus, his power, the power of God. Do you realize the power? Think about the power that God has. Let there be light, and there is light. Oceans, 
separate from the land, and they separated. Trees rise up and trees rose up. Animals of its kind came to being. You go here, you go there, they did it. This is the power. This power of God, this power of God is made perfect, means it becomes accomplished. It becomes perfected. It comes to maturation. It comes to fruition. In what? In weakness, in disease, in infirmity, in sickness, in hurt, in offense. You see, God works through your trial and through your offense as you hold on to his grace. What are his grace? Remember what I taught you. His grace is salvation. His grace is being filled with the Holy Spirit. His grace is studying the word. His grace is reading the Bible. As you hold on to these things, as his grace is being in the church where he's placed you, as you hold on to these things through your trial, through your temptation, through your offense, look what starts to happen in your life. God's power begins to well up. God's power becomes to mature in your heart. What does this cause you to do? It becomes to make you content. I'm happy where I am. Why can, you be, why can Paul say, I, therefore I am glad that I will boast in my weakness? How could you ever say you'll boast in your weakness? Because Paul began to understand this. As I trust his grace, as I trust what he has already given me, this is the amazing thing about the, the, the Jesus, that he begins to give you more. He begins to give you more. You don't have to react. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder what the Lord has for you. Yes, even in your sickness, Lord, I want to be healed of this sickness. Pray, pray that the Lord be healed, that you be healed, that the Lord is, touches you and graces you. Look at Hannah prayed and prayed and prayed. She got up from prayer. She wasn't pregnant. You know when she became pregnant? When she maintained her walk as a woman of God. The Lord, as the Bible says, and the Lord remembered Hannah. He didn't remember Hannah while she was praying. She didn't, he didn't remember Hannah while she was in the temple of the Lord. She, he remembered Hannah when she maintained and she was content to live her life godly outside of church, outside of worship, outside of prayer. She held on to all those things. She did all those things. She maintained that good attitude, but it was when she maintained them outside that the power of God miraculously touched her, and the Lord answered her. So I want to share with you tonight, saints, this. God already has given you power and strength to live a godly life. You may say, Brother Ben, how can I do this? I want to share with you, God has already given it to you. Tap into what God has given you. Take the power and strength that he's given you, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be, tap into that. Study it. Learn it. Understand it. Go further in whatever the Lord gives you. Maybe you say, Brother Ben, I can only read the Bible for five minutes in the morning. I'm going to tell you, read the Bible for five minutes in the morning. Read it for five minutes. I can only get on my knees and pray for 10 minutes. That's all I can do right now. Get on your knees and pray for 10 minutes. And I promise you, look what the Lord will do in that 10 minutes. The Lord will change your heart. The Lord will encourage your heart. The Lord will set you in a place where you have direction, where you have, feel like you have purpose. And before you know it, that 10 minutes will be 15. And that 15 will be 20. Why? Because the power of God starts to be made perfect, starts to come to maturation in your weakness. And saints, that's my word for us tonight. Can we be encouraged as we move forward in Christ to be content in Christ, not just to look the part, 
not just to sound apart, not just to say, I'm doing okay as a mature Christian. I think I look good. I think I sound good. No. Let's go all the way with Jesus Christ and learn more about him. Learn more about what he wants from you. Learn more about what he desires of your heart. And as you do that, watch your heart well up with the power of God and your life will be changed and you'll have purpose and direction even in the middle of your weakness. Hallelujah. God is so good. So saints, we love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. To have content hearts.